Ian, it's not just you and I today. We're here with Colin, Colin Hunter. Welcome, Colin. Thank you both. Thank you, Ben and Ian, for having me on here. I'm, I'm looking forward to it, particularly with the title. Yeah, no fear at all coming in here. <laughs> fear in leadership. Uh, more, more about that in a moment. Yeah. Colin, let me tell everyone who you are. You're an author, or you're very nearly an author. Your book is coming out on the, the 21st September. That's right. Is this your first book? It is. It's a labor of love that's taken three and a half years to write. So, uh, and with a title of Be More Wrong, it's weird that it's uh, <laughs> I've doubted its quality for so long. It's taken me so long to publish. So I'm hoping it's worth <laughs> Be More Wrong. So we're looking forward to that on the 21st of September. You, you better tell us what's the book about, Colin? It's a journey. It's, it fits in what we're going to talk about today. It's a journey to outstanding leadership. So it's about pitching rather than average. It's about how do I get to outstanding, aim for outstanding, get to great. So it is about the hero's journey and about the, the guide that takes the hero out of the village. They learn, they develop and they grow. And it's stories of clients that I've worked with, myself, my own stories, my own version of imposter syndrome and working with that. Uh, and it, then it's also got a sprinkling of design thinking in it because it's about learning fast so how do you pace up how do you speed up and scale up in terms of how you you lead that worry about whether you're going too fast whether the team can cope with it they can take on what you want them to do so it is around that hero's journey and being more wrong as a principle so my screw-ups in my career are valuable in theory yeah. i love that title colin isn't that a, isn't that a great title ben be more wrong, be wrong more often, mm. make beautiful mistakes. Yeah, I like it. Mm. I like it. I'm well, I'm looking forward to to reading that. Uh, we can listen about it sooner because there's a podcast of the same name, which I think hits the airwaves in three or four weeks' time. It does, yeah. So again, stories of people I work with, some of the, the, the people who are out there, whether it's Mandarin Oriental or whether it's Rosewood Hodel or leaders in Accenture. So it's it's putting them on the forefront to talk about their stories. Very good. Well, I look forward to listening as well. And and Colin, you, you started out, began at, at Procter & Gamble in sales and marketing, and then 20 years or so ago now, mm. you founded a, a leadership consultancy business called Potential Squared, all about disrupting the way that people lead. Sounds really fascinating. Potential Squared involves creating measurable playgrounds. Mm, yeah. Give us just a uh, thirty seconds on what that is, Colin. It, it's it's based on a habit that I have about being restlessly dissatisfied, and therefore I'm constantly changing and challenging myself and what I do. And then I started to think about when the times I was happiest in my life, and it was in the playground. Um, and if I look at it, it was about the the ability to build teams to connect to experience things. I wasn't always the greatest sportsman. You know, I was always well, probably second or third last chosen for the football, but there was a piece in there or soccer if there's American listeners in. But I was I was always thinking that that's my time was happiest. And then I looked into organizations and I saw that people weren't happy. Majority of people weren't happy. And I, I think that's changing. But I, I do believe that one of the concepts is the fear of failure of leaders in organizations means that it gets serious. And we get regulators, we get, you know, financial services or pharma, and therefore we get this concept of, of fearing of failure. And therefore to treat it as a as a game and a playground where you can have fun and explore and, and explore together in that playground is important. So I started to do that with use of actors and I've grown on to we've just taken on a VR element to a virtual reality element to it. So now we're putting people into immersive environments where they're showing their true colors and learning really fast in a fast way, but a good way because it feels real um, to them. Great. So to learn leadership, let's learn in the playground. Fabulous. Ooh. And you're doing this with some some big organizations uh, from Accenture to Takeda, the pharmaceutical company, uh, BBC, Prudential, and many more. Great, great stuff. Thank you for Thank you for joining us, Colin. And Pleasure. today's episode, I know you've got a view on this. Today's episode, uh, Ian, fear in leadership. And mm. you and I have sort of tussled a little bit in, in previous episodes when you've said something like leaders should be setting a vision or goals that get the team scared. And I've, I've jumped in in response to that because we don't want to scare our people. So this episode, fear in leadership, is around 
is there a place, what is the place of fear in leadership? Say a bit, Ian, about where you were coming from. Yeah, and I suppose I should clear that up straight away. I'm not here to say scare the bejesus out of our employees. Oh, we're not doing managing by fear. <laughs> no, definitely not, Ben. Not okay. Just to clear up these notes, all right. <laughs> I mean, this, it started with me. Um, oh, must have been six, seven years ago, and. A lady who I've admired for a long time called Kate Marshall came along and spoke to a group I was chairing and she read out a poem and the poem hit me hard between the eyes. It's one of those sort of seminal aha moments where you think, wow, and uh, people may know of it. I'll read out a small section of it, which I used at the end of my TEDx back in, in Woking in 2018. And it and informed what I was talking about. And then then we can kind of unwrap it a bit. So this is by Marianne Williamson, and the poem's called Our Deepest Fear. And it says, our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. It is our light, not our darkness, that scares us. We ask ourselves, who am I to be brilliant, gorgeous, talented, fabulous? Actually, who are you not to be? Your playing small does not serve the world. And to me, when I heard that, I just, I just was struck with the power of those words, especially that last sentence, your playing small does not serve the world. But also it, it challenged me. The poem challenged me personally, A, to not um, play small, but B, to challenge any fears I had about doing things, about stretching myself, about doing something where I felt uncomfortable. And then I started discovering things on a personal journey, which was once you start putting yourself in a position where, you know, failure isn't the opposite of success, it's part of success. Mm. And, and, and fear is just a label we put on things which we could also label excitement. Then you start shifting the ground for yourself and I know when I'm feeling uh, a little bit anxious, a little bit stressed, if I start to relabel that, I start to feel energetic, I start to feel lively, I start to feel on point, and then I can deliver some great things. If I can lower my blood pressure and get my mental state right and do a bit of Amy Cuddy power posing, then I can start to deliver some exceptional things and put myself into that stretch area. So that's where it started for me, Ben. It started for me with a kind of bit of an aha and a personal journey and probably starting to put things that I'd experienced before into, and I like boxes and you know labels, and it started to label it for me, this whole, whole area. So to me, this is a good thing we're talking about today. It's a vital thing and it perhaps needs a bit of relabeling. Yeah, okay. So uh, to me, that sounds like let's play big enough that actually it's quite scary. I think yeah. so. I th- I th- I th- yeah, so Colin, yeah, dip in there because um, yeah. what's, what's your take on this? Well, I'm with you. I, I, I think there's got to be a, a, an attachment to it. For me, it's always been about as long as your purpose is aligned for, for that fear, that's great. I think it's when people are putting you in fear about something that you're not passionate about or you don't care about, then there's a, there's a piece in there that, that, that really makes you worry. There's a great exercise we do with, with clients, which is for charity, which is called Helping Hands. You haven't heard about brilliant exercise, won't give too much away, but they get an exercise where they get a kit, which looks like a, a puzzle that they have to put together. But halfway through, we show them a video, which gives them a flavor that this kit they're putting together has a major impact on somebody's life. And that has a huge impact on the quality of life for somebody who's gone through so much. And suddenly you see the fear of, of the attention, the adrenaline, go back to Ian's point, the adrenaline about how they put that together. And I think, you know, if you are making a significant impact in life, you should feel fearful. You know, you just look at the, the conversations on race, on equity and everything at the moment, that's a fearful place to go into a, a fierce conversation as Susan Scott would talk about. Mm-hmm. So so therefore the, the great things should have a degree of fear to otherwise you're just sailing as I would talk about sail your ship around the harbor and you're playing with your sales and the team are playing with 
their roles, but putting them in the rougher seas, great. Let's have a bit of fear in there. Yeah, a bit of adrenaline, I think, is a relabel. Yeah. Well, there's there's two things I'm I'm hearing here. One of them, you know, you talk, Colin, about alignment to purpose, purposes that matter and that we care about. And as I listen to your your lovely story there and putting the box together, the fear was actually of not living up to the purpose. The fear was that we would disappoint or let down in some way, not follow through for those people for whom this really matters. So so there's caring, that fear becomes caring, the caring becomes fear of not living up. And then you you had the rough seas, which is kind of what I had in mind when you know Ian talks about, you know, let's do something big enough that it's frightening. And you're talking about rough seas. So mm. let's come back to you, rough seas. It's, it's interesting because a lot of leadership is about sporting analogies or military analogies. And I've you know, probably turned off half the podcast uh, at this point because they are not another leadership uh, based on sport or military. <laughs> However, there's there's another piece in here that organizations now are having to, to go out and stretch themselves. You know, if you just look at one of our major clients, Accenture's new branding, they've gone for creativity and ingenuity. And they've suddenly put their, their marker out there that they've got to be different. And therefore, they've got to live and breathe things differently. Now, that's taking a whole reskilling internally mm. and a, re, a different mindset to there. So that's not just going in and saying, right, here's a you know, billion-dollar contract that we're going to fulfill. It's going in and saying, we're going to transform society, the clients in there. And that's a huge responsibility. So those are, those are rough seas. If I could say one other thing, I, I think if I go back to one of my clients, Thomas Cox, who's now the Corinthian general manager there, he was at Claridge's for a long while. And they did a BBC drama about Claridge's. I don't know if you ever saw it. Mm, mm. But, he, but he had a purpose of perfection. And I was working with him at the time. And his whole stretch was he had a fear that it wasn't right. He had a fear. And he probably wouldn't have labeled it. You know, in his, in his inimitable way, he just he drove and he drove his team. But there's no surprise that one of his top, his hotel manager at the time, Michael Bonser, is now head of the Rosewood in London because that that stretch and that adrenaline that he drove, drove the development, which had been started with Philippe Lebeau, who's now at Mandarin Oriental. So this this rougher seas, people had been stretched in what they, they were expecting. And if you're paying £10,000 a night for a suite, you expect it. But but that's a lot of pressure to put somebody under on there. So that's what I mean by rougher season in a business context. It's really yeah, challenging okay. yourself. Yeah. So rougher season, it's stretching and it's perhaps a bit frightening. We had the idea of care. You brought mm. in the idea of responsibility, feeling responsible to that standard. And Ian, you, you started us mm. off here with Marianne's yeah. poem. Um, mm. What are your thoughts? Well, uh, I think Colin's absolutely right about purpose because it, it just, as I said, I, I came across that poem and I started to reflect on my own journey. And then I remember, again, listening to um, a guy called Malcolm Smith, who you'll know, Ben, speaking. Yeah. And I asked Malcolm after he had been speaking uh, how he felt about doing what he was doing so often. And he said, well, I love it because I'm on purpose. Mm. And I said, so what is your purpose? And, uh, and he just trotted it out. He just said, it's, it's whatever it was. And I, I can't remember what he said at the time. But it, what I took back from that is, well, what's my purpose? And I think we can have a purpose for an organization. And we've talked about this a little in another podcast. But I think what's important, going back to what Colin was said, if we're going to stretch ourselves, if we're going to go into that fear a little bit and embrace it, because we know that's where the energy is, that's where the stretching is, that's where the learning and growth is, that's where the possibilities open up and the opportunities for us, then we have to be clear what our purpose is because that's what's going to drive us to go into that area. So one of the ahas that I came away with, well, when am I on purpose and where do I get energy and what makes me on purpose and what is my purpose? So after many iterations of trying to figure out what it, what, what it was, I came up with inspiring leadership. And that was so that when I walk in a room, I'm here to inspire people to be better leaders. Now, that came to me three years ago, and I've not changed it. So when I created the 18-minute the TED Talk, that's what it was all about. It was about trying to talk to people about unreasonable dreams and stretch zones and energy 
and going and facing their fear, because by doing that, they're going to go there. They're going to try these things. They're going to discover their purpose. They're going to stretch themselves a bit more. They're going to get the adrenaline. They're going to make more of their lives. And so I was living my purpose on that stage. So I think Colin's bang on the money here. And this is a really messy thing to try and do, by the way, for people listening to try and say, well, what is my purpose? But it's it, but it's definitely worth doing. And there's one other little, actually, no, I'll save that. I'll come back to you, Ben, because once I'm on a roll, I could keep going. But Ben, what about you? What are you taking out of this this debate so far? Well, I'm listening with 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 great interest, and I'm wondering, you know, what what is the role of the the leader here? The leader's taking the team into this place. The leader is keeping them on purpose. And I just glanced up at my my bookshelf, and and up there is a book about fear, and it's Amy Edmondson's book about psychological safety, the fearless organisation, and in there she talks about a leader's role should involve reducing fear amongst the team, amongst the people, to a minimum. What do we think of that? How do we square this peg? It was it was interesting just picking up on that because there's Dan Cable from London Business School um, when he first heard about psychological safety, he was commenting on it. He said, don't take psychological safety to be about being nice to people. Yeah. Mm. And and for me, he, he hit something which Amy had been talking about, which was about the fact that it, it's the ability to put the foot in the accelerator and take the foot off the brake at the same time getting your team to do that. But they've got to be in a place where it's almost, you could call it connected teaming, where they feel they're in a space where they can do that. But with that goes discipline. So it goes back to the Atomic Habits and James Clear, which is we, we don't rise to the level of our objectives, we fall to the level of our systems. And unless that system of psychological safety is built up and worked up, then people will feel exposed and their natural imposter syndrome or their fear of failing will, will be in there. So, so I love it. But it's not easy. I think this is what we're, we're saying here is, I think, firstly, establishing a purpose is not easy. But secondly, getting other people to feel like they can make fools of themselves in some cases, that's what they feel, is a tough thing to do. I mean, if you've got a focused intent, like a surgery, which is where it comes from, where you're looking at the surgeon and not making mistakes, there's a, a focus. If it's military, you can understand it. But in business, people are starting to go, well, hold on a second, I can get away with good here. Good is good enough. I don't need to stretch myself. And that's been the worry in the past, that that's where businesses have gone. So reducing fear amongst the team isn't isn't about avoiding. Actually, it's about helping people to face those fears. And I was thinking um, the last couple of days, as we approached this conversation, if we step out of our context and we just think about fear, you know, why, why does fear exist? Well, Fear leads to defensive behaviours for the animal or the person that can end up saving the life of the animal or the person. Yeah. They're triggers, aren't they? Yeah. They're they're triggers. So (laughs) there is no avoiding it. So maybe that's my my, my first takeaway here, that the leader's role is to to help each person face the fears, face the the scariness of being in the rough sea that we're putting them in with with purpose, but also face the the personal fears that they're going to have in that moment. Yeah, I think that's right. I think the leader's role is absolutely crucial. Um, we touched on safety here, and you know Simon Sinek talks about this a lot about safety and the leader's role is to create a safe environment for people. Um, but you can't you can't say that by by being the leader and sailing your own boat outside the harbour and going to rough seas. You have to be vulnerable, and and mm. and and you're going to the sort of going to the sort of Brené Brown side of the vulnerability. You know, and vulnerability is not a weakness; it's our greatest measure of courage. And mm. I think what leaders have got to show that if I'm going to take, you know, to go back to the to your uh, great analogy, Colin, if I'm going to sail the boat into rough seas, sometimes the mast is going to break. Sometimes mm. we, you know, we're going to sail it off in the wrong direction. But do you know what? That's okay. And 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 uh, let me tell you, I've done that as well. And that's what the leader's role is to do and say, but that's okay. We're going to keep doing it because that is how we learn and grow, because that's how we get a better boat and a better sail and we go faster. And uh, I think without the leader putting that, that, uh, that safe, 
safety net's probably the wrong word, but, but, but making you feel that I can do this and you've got my back, um, then without that, people aren't going to take those risks as they see them as risks. I think it's, it also goes into the experimentation piece. And what I loved about three, four years ago when I first uh, encountered a gentleman called Andrew Webster, who's at Experience Point in Canada, and they partnered with IDEO, the design thinking company. Mm. And he gave me permission to fail, but he also taught me how to experiment and experiment quickly. So what we've been doing for the last four years, which is opened my eyes to a different level of fear, is, is failing fast with our clients, which sounds weird, but we're going in and going, we're going to fail. But actually, we want to fail quickly in here. And when we fail, we've got to have some principles that we operate in to, to almost do checks and balances. So one of my old clients, Drew Cameron, always used to say, if things are going well, go and tell your client. But if things are going badly, run and tell your client. And his <laughs> whole team were running along the corridors going to tell them. So he would do large contracts without lawyers in the room because they trusted him implicitly that if they had bad news or they failed, they would hear it immediately. And mm. it wasn't covered up. And I think a lot of this fear of failure, let's go fail in this tiny place that is our company and then put a finished polished product out to the market it's changing now so a lot of i think a lot of the younger people in the, this uh, in the industries are starting to go yeah well yeah it's, it's an ugly product we'll put it out there we'll get feedback and we'll we'll switch around that's there's almost no fear in that which is great for me yeah. mm. 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 we we one of our early episodes was uh, what do we call it ian uh, failure is not an option yeah mm. and and after recording that, and of course, we talked about similar things, Colin, um, after we talked about that, I, I began to question whether failure is even the right language. And I, you know, I wondered, is it that we're failing fast and failing early and failing forward? Or should actually we should we be saying we're constantly testing? Yeah, or, or we're learning fast. I think, and that's we're learning fast. Learning fast for me is that because the testing is why are we testing? So, you know, putting the ship out of the hub. And it could be, to take that analogy, you talk about the mast. You might be trying a new mast. You might be mm. trying a new way. You might just be purposefully practicing around a particular area that you're going out to do. And that's what I love about the sports analogies bringing mm -hmm. in, the braille spurt, the mm. incremental gains that you are making in mm. what you do are, are massive mm. for how you shift it. But it's also, it's 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 a smaller bite for people to take on. So if you're just talking small experiments, small changes, then almost people don't know that it's happening and the fear isn't as great as going, right, we're going to shift everything around and go to a different route. So mm. I think a lot of the work in that space, yeah, there's a lot of talk about it, but Ozan Barrel talks about it in his thing, like a rocket scientist, another author, so another one like quoting, but, <laughs> but, uh, but he talks about learn fast. He hates the word failure. He talks about learn fast, and I'm sort of with them in that. So there's a piece here for the leader about measuring the environment and bite-sized chunk, and let's scare our people, but let's not scare the bejesus out of them, and let's build up that belief we have in ourselves that we can answer these unplanned situations, we can regroup, we can move forward, we know, we know how to respond. I think we're kind of veering into creating cultures aren't we cultures that accept that failure is part of success that maybe we don't label it so much of that we try things all the time we experiment mm. with things we're curious we're innovative and and we know in that process you know if r d whatever we're doing isn't always going to work you know you only have to look at dyson when they started and how many failures they had before they launched the very first one and when you start to see a culture develop and you know, I'm with you on the, the sports and military uh, stories, but, you know, you have to go there sometimes. And yeah, and I do. think, you know, I'm a big fan of now what you'll remind me, the legacy, wasn't it? The book on the All Blacks. Yeah. Right at the beginning of that book, he talks about the All Blacks winning a game. I think it was against Wales and they came off and they won like 43-12 or something. And they came off the pitch, they sat in the changing room and all these cultural aspects come out about what's embedded in the way they work. First of all, everyone gets changed and has a shower. All the players go home. The leadership team stay behind. They clear up the sheds, as they call them. So it's that they show how to clear up and they're not afraid to do that. Then they sit down and they say, 
what went well and what can we improve upon? And they look on all those things that didn't go so well. And they focus on those, you know, they didn't do a perfect line out. They didn't run off that line well enough. And that's part of the culture. It's not 43, 12, great, let's go and have a beer. It's, yeah. we took it, we, we want to push this even further the next time. We'll try doing this even better the next time. So it becomes part of our way of working. And that goes through everyone it's it's so embedded in a, in in that culture of being world class agreed i lo i love the work that's happening now in pre-mortems i'd never heard that term until about a year and a bit ago and then somebody said do a pre-mortem i said what the hell is that i said well just imagine i think about dad's army for all the british viewers i think about we're all doomed what's gonna fail you know <laughs> before we we get there but but i i love that concept because if you take the analogy into uh, whatever we do. And I was lucky enough to meet a lady whose son was a Top Gun instructor, you know, one of my favorite movies. And But she talked about that they do one hour of flying and 10 hours of debrief afterwards. Wow. So that, that, that 10 hours of debrief is exactly what the All Blacks are doing, which is they're never happy. They're, they're picking up in the small mm. bits that could change. Now, that sounds, for a lot of people in a lot of organizations, that sounds really like really hard work. Um, and that's going back to the link for me is that if we can make it a playground and we can do incremental mm. changes then people don't feel it's such a big thing to do, but, um, uh, 10 hours of, for one, can you imagine if you did a one hour pitch with a client, you spent 10 hours afterwards doing it, but that's where you learn. So I'm, I'm with you. Incredible. So there's something here about taking the, the team through fear, making that okay, making that a usual thing, but also the reason to go there. And it doesn't sound so scary right now, does it? But mm. let's get back to the topic. We're talking about stretching the team, getting them into a position where it is scary. One of the things that occurs to me is if we're going to do that, if we're going to let a leader take us there, we've got to have a bit of respect for that leader. So, so this is something else a leader's got to have. They've got to earn their stripes. They've got to be respected. Uh, their people have got to know that he's taking or she's taking them there for a good reason and we'll get them through. Mm. Mm. Yeah. I think it's a, a strong bit. I, I do think there's a bit for both sides and I'd like to come back in the scary and the fear thing because people listening mm. who are my clients are going, oh God, are they going to come in and start doing fear and, uh, and potential squared now? And is this, and, I know where you're, you're coming from, but I want to come back to it. Most people have fears, and 99% of us have fears. Yeah, I have a fear of doing a TEDx, which is ridiculous because I stand up in front and talk to people uh, all the time, but I have a fear of doing a TEDx. I have a fear of being found out. I have most of my life around a number of things. The first time I did a boards gig and went in and worked with a board, I just honestly, you know, why would you want me in here? And I, I, the more I talk to leaders at senior levels nowadays, the more you realize everybody's got an insecurity or fear some way. Mm. But coming mm. back to it, it's how do we get that fear to, uh, Jacqueline Farrington quote from one of my colleagues, she says, how do you get the butterflies to fly in formation? Yeah. Mm -hmm. so, so for some people in your team, that fear might be standing up and doing a pitch to a client. For others, it might be risking their whole career to actually remove their role out the way to, to, to change the way we operate. So I think it's about, and I think this is where the All Blacks coming back to have it, which is they would rather have somebody who is not a maverick, who is not mm. a top performer, but has no values. They want to have somebody who's got values, a you know, mid-level performer with strong values. It's the same as Simon Sinek does around, um, I think it's the SEALs he talks about. Mm. So I think there is this piece about the fear inside, you've got to trust that when I expose and I'm vulnerable about that fear, that somebody's not going to, you know, just laugh at you. I mean, I've got a daughter who suffers from anxiety. Yeah, that's there's so many people who do, and I've you know, been there myself before. But I don't want somebody laughing at me. I, I want somebody to help me with that um, mm. and make it more anti-fragile. So I think using that that piece about saying harness your goes back to feel the fear and do it anyway. But it, harnessing that fear and taking the step forward is a leader's role. That's agitating for the future, as we would describe. I think it's true, isn't it? I mean, if, I, if I'm really honest, every time I go and speak to a group of people or get on a stage, 
you know, I feel all sorts of emotions. I've definitely got butterflies. Yeah. I'm feeling the adrenaline. And then if you're not careful, you know, the chimp paradox, your, your monkey hijacks you and you start saying, what if I, I dry up when I get on stage? Mm -hmm. and, and you've got to reform those butterflies into the formation. You've got to say, you've got to mm -hmm. go through some techniques like visioning what it's going to look like when you get up there and everyone smiles and applauds you. And, and, and you can run small... Uh, mantras in your mind as I do you know about what I'm what I'm going to say to myself before I, I do things like that and so I think we we need to uh, all create a, a personal way of dealing with some of these fears of rejection or getting it wrong or losing or or criticism and don't let one thing ruin everything yeah Ben you'll remember Brian Avery mm. great speaker now, Ryan Avery says, don't let one thing ruin everything. Yeah. yeah. Which is a wonderful quote. And I've, again, it's one of those ones I've kept. And it's very easy to, to stand there and there's one person in the room or there's one piece of feedback. And as human beings, we focus on that one piece of feedback, that one bit of negativity, when actually we're doing pretty well and most of it's very mm. good. I think it's interesting because the, there's two sides to this, isn't there? In a speaking context one critic is is not a good one i remember watching bill clinton talk and there was a, a woman in the audience who was going on and on and on and did not like what he was saying and the facilitator of that event was was listening and got, getting really irritated with this woman and most of the audience were to be fair um and eventually the facilitator moved the questions on and said mm. you know let's let's move it on let's move it on and Bill Clinton, he was on video, but he'd gone quiet, silence in the background. Um, and the facilitator started the next section, and all I heard was Bill Clinton coming and say, I just want to pause you there. She's right. Yeah, that's all he said. She's right. And then he paused for a second and said, she's got a, a right to be heard. Mm. Yeah, she's got a point of view, and we need to listen to her. And we mm. don't. I heard mm. in the audience the mocking mm. and everything else. But by doing that, he had the reputation for, I see you, you know, being present Yeah. the yeah. Fox News interview he did. He just had the ability to disarm people with that. Mm. So I think the critics, one of my yeah. old colleagues, my critics help me, is yeah. an important bit about it. Rather than becoming yeah, not yeah. arrogant. Yeah, it's, it's pivoting around uh, on that, which I think is a good thing. Yeah. Mm. Great point. Real leadership story in that moment, isn't it? Yeah. Mm. Let's look at this from a from another point of view. Um, yeah, in a way, we've been talking about fears that we've got a choice about here. Do we don't we get into our stretch zone? Do we don't we chew off a challenge so big that it it frightens us? Mm. That's one type of fear that we might face as an organization. There are other types. There's clear and present dangers out there for, for any business. There's the fear of the business failing. There's the fear of our competitors, the fear of, of missing out, particularly if we've got a business built around some sort of first mover advantage. There's a fear of a pandemic coming along and clobbering us or some other act of God. There's some real fears uh, out there as well. What about those? Yeah, I mean, it, for me, there's one of the clients who will remain nameless, but is quite high profile, who had a, a prosecution agreement against it. Working in there, there was a fear of everything. So the culture was massively fearful of doing it, but it transferred to everything. So it didn't mm. just refer to doing a deal or how you did your compliance and risk. It referred, deferred to everything on that. So I'm with you on that. But I think that's about leadership. And there was some great leaders in that organization, one unfortunately is no longer with us, who had just the ability to create, go back to it, create the conditions for people mm. to understand what was okay to take a risk on, what was mm. okay to, to, to have that fear and, uh, and do something about it. And those other ones, which, you know, the, um, the risk control matrix of any internal audit function in any business about saying, right, we need to try, find a way around this to avoid this. Um, so I think caution, I, I hate the word careful, but actually if you, put, if you put it around the other way and say to be full of care about what you choose to take on and what you choose to, to do something about, that is a different culture for, for people to, to have in terms of the fear. So 
we I mean, you do this work as well. We've got so many organizations mm -hmm. where it's just full of fear, full of fear of failure, all the lists you've got, fear of the manager, fear mm -hmm. of everything else. So how do we change that around? I, I don't think there's an easy way apart from changing the leadership. Mm. Yeah, okay. So you're, you're describing there uh, when in some way we, you know, we're seeing a polluted culture. We, we might even call that a culture of fear. We get those bad behaviors. Team members exhibit one of those classic responses to fear. They're, they're paralyzed. What do they do? They, they start up-delegating everything. Yep. Mm. So we know we know it's gone wrong, <laughs> yeah. if that's what we're seeing. Mm. But that fear of failure, that fear of competitors, that fear of the pandemic that might wipe out the, the organization, mm. for me, these are most scary if they are unnamed fears. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. I think there's a, there's a responsibility here. Where there are real dangers out there, the leader needs to point it out mm. you know, and, and say to the team, hey, there's a there's a lion over there mm. we better be wary of it we better be ready let's you know let, let's get ourselves out of this position and how are we going to do that mm. and how can we get into into motion yeah there's there's this piece here as well i think it's yeah. interesting um when you you know say pointing out the lion you know we're we're both fans of jim collins ben and you know he talks about you've got to be honest with the brutal facts but have a positive view of the future and you know i saw this in spades in a client of mine team sport and dom gainer when the pandemic came along and they had to close all their tracks as they've had to do for the best part of a year on and off um all the way through that he's been very clear about look these are the brutal facts of what's happening but we are going to go through this we are going to get to this position and this is what we can do now and let's be innovative and let's be curious and let's see where we can focus and let's see what we can learn and grow. And I think there is some danger in pointing out too many possibilities of where it could go wrong. Um, yeah. So you don't want to point right. out the line that's 300 yards away and say that could yeah. get us. Um, or the fact that wind might change tomorrow. So let's make sure we're, you know, so I think there is this balance for leadership. As leaders, we, we all know, we're going to be fearful at times that things might happen and there's a there's a fine balance between chucking all that on the table and being very positive about the future but also just admitting because people will see through you if you're not authentic these are the brittle facts of what we face now yeah so there's there's a piece here about inspiring somebody with the growth opportunities and getting that messages and the the fires under the backside. what i love is actually where organizations are starting to create their own teams internally to disrupt themselves to spot the lions because I, I i'm a big fan that the leader shouldn't be accountable for everything one of our biggest issues in our business is trying to get it's a a, a mantra that's been given to me by a, a good friend dean gale in australia but he talks about do people own their roles or rent them um, and most organizations and most leaders get people to rent their role. Mm. And, and therefore, the leader becomes the, almost the, I'm coming around to take the, uh, the rent off you. I'm going to do the repairs. I'm accountable for spotting the lions and the roof coming down. But if they own that space, then surely they should be the ones who are, who are really owning that to, to spot where the lions are. And if you get that, it's powerful because they're owning the responses as well. Um, so I, I, I do hope it's tough, though. I mean, I, I think you're right. And certain people will have their heads down too busy not to mm. see the lion or to see the second lion, Ian, your point, uh, mm. coming over the hill. And who mm. would have saw the pandemic, for example? Who would have seen the pandemic coming? Nobody. Nobody no. knew. Except for Bill Gates. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I like that bit in there, Colin. Own the response. I thought earlier, you know, fear can lead to defensive behaviors. They can end up saving the, the animal. If we look at that in a different way, if fear is the driver, what, what does it do? It creates an incredibly powerful away from driver. Yeah. And we might need to do that in the organization sometimes, particularly if we're, if we're small, if we're, if we're at the end of the startup, just getting into the, the scale up period, things can come along 
that could wipe us out as an organization. So we might have something dangerous enough that we really want to act but use that as a strong away from driver and get the whole team working away from that. And the thing about away from drivers, they don't have a towards. So yeah. 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 <laughs> yeah. Own the response, direct it. If you're gonna unleash that energy, mm-hmm. direct it. And then call out how far away are we from that danger now? And can we begin to can we begin to relax and can we shift that fearful and away from energy into creative energy and keep our pace and just mm. open up that that distance we've we've got? Mm, I, I would agree. The leading and lagging indicators, I think the work that's been done there. Mm-hmm. everybody's shifting away from lagging indicators which is what did i do what was my turnover last year mm-hmm. what did i do in my sales last year mm-hmm. versus the leading indicators and spotting the lions but also spotting the crisis uh coming down the road is is a huge part of what what businesses need to do but again mm-hmm. it's it's about education of people because you know there's this piece about there's two things one is spotting it second thing is about doing something about it I suppose the third thing is about this concept of anti-fragile. The, the, the Center for Resilience has just redefined its definition of resilience, for example, to be the ability to thrive in chaos. That's their mm-hmm. new definition. And it, it, for me, it's about time, because Nicholas Taleb was talking about it a while ago, about how do I ingest little bits of poison so when I do get these big things, lines mm-hmm. coming at me, I'm resistant to and I'm changing that. Um, and it's... You know, I see cyclists I cycle with, and they are fearless on certain hills. But when they, they've fallen on a particular hill, you can see them slowing down before they get there. So their mm. resilience and their reactions are being slowed. And therefore, we have embedded behaviors and embedded fears that are caused by the background. But how do we get rid of those? Resilience, testing out, stretching ourselves, mm. and if I just which makes a lot of people very scared because to face your fears and do something about it is tough, whether that's speaking or leading a team. Most people fear leading a team. Can I put one more thing in here, which we haven't discussed Mm. yet? A lady called Ellen Johnson Sirleaf, who was the first uh, democratically elected uh, lady president of an African nation, and she held that office for 12 years. She said, and I love her quote, the size of your dreams must always exceed your current capacity to achieve them. The size of your dreams must always exceed your current capacity to achieve them. And to me, this is part of this this whole thing. We talked about purpose and being on purpose Mm -hmm. and then pushing yourself towards achieving that purpose. But also it's a bit like, again, the moonshot, the Kennedy thing by the end of the decade and put a man on the moon. And as soon as you say something like that, you have to take risks. You know, you can't, we we were never going to put a man on the moon unless we stepped into new places we tried new things we did things that really scared us out of our wits um and people were dying to do that and ben as a, a former rocket scientist knows it more than anyone but um what's your view on the whole you know as well as the purpose setting the vision that drives us to take these more managed risks to live much more in a kind of culture that will allow us to step into that fear that stretch that energy I've, I've got a mixed view on it, to be honest, because I go back to the BHAGs and the, the days of the, the big, hairy, audacious goals setting and other pieces in there. And I, it, Because I am a, a convert to the concept of systems and habits versus goals piece, mm-hmm. even now we've, we've started putting the concept of strategic projects together for the business. So we still have a vision and we still have a purpose, but the strategic projects. And I, I think it's this principle of, I think stretch and vision is good, you know, um, and Martin Luther King's vision for uh, mm. equal rights is there. Uh, the moonshot is there. Uh, Apple's vision, Amazon's vision are all there to do it. The piece for me is that to get the really fresh ideas and the thoughts around how you approach it, you need to break it down into projects. And I think for most yeah. people, having, having the ability to go big is, is difficult. And I think that's yeah. what scares somebody about being strategic in inverted commas um, because they don't know how to do it. But but I had a question this morning on purpose and somebody said to me, who's more junior in the organization, said, how do I start this? And I said, well, just pick something and have a go at it. Experiment with it. And if it's big enough, it'll drive you. But for him, it might be something small. 
for in yeah. our context it might be something small so so i'm a big believer that this day of let me get a ge's massive look where ge is now mm. in terms of its massive yeah. goals uh, I, yeah. I do think there's a piece about being realistic about how you develop that muscle in leaders yeah um, i do love the stories and i'm a, uh, i love story and storytelling and all of those pieces but for most people starting them with a point of view and a direction and a strategic mm. project crafting something that they could change in their own area and then working that muscle up to the olympics where you're doing a moonshot would be my my guide to that otherwise there's so many people on the side of the road crashed and burned from yeah. having a go at something i think that's right I, I think we we talked about it in the margins recently ben about um captain tom when he started yeah. off walking around his house you know he didn't start off saying I'm going to raise 30 million and I'm going yeah. to be knighted and I'm going to meet David Beckham. He started mm. off by saying, I'm going to walk a hundred times with my Zimmer frame around my house because I'm a yeah. soldier and that's what we do. Yeah. And, yeah. and then it, and it went from there. And I think there's a danger sometimes in recreating history and, yeah. and saying that's what they had in mind, you know, and yeah. they may not have always had that in mind. It was the, it was the project. It was the next step. It was pushing themselves. And suddenly the door opened and, they can do something new. Yeah, I would agree. Well, I, I think we're finding a nice conclusion here in that idea of being anti-fragile, developing mm. the, the muscle, helping people to face their individual fears, face the fears of the, the organisation, so that we can either run away from a threat and mm. invent our way out of trouble, or take ourselves into those rough waters and achieve something that is kind of scary, scary, mm. scary big. So so for me, we're kind of at a conclusion, but you guys get to have a last word as well, of course. But before we go there, Colin, one of the things that jumped out at me as we were talking before before this afternoon is, is your three dimensions that every leader should have, confidence, conviction, and connection. And I mm. uh, jumped off the page. Tell us a bit more about that and the relevance here. Yeah, I mean, it's from a, a piece of work that's, that nobody can find the research on now, but it's 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 from something called I-Zone of Control of Leadership. Um, and it, it, I've had it in my mind for ages. I still work in coaching. But the principle is you've got three Cs. One, one's confidence. So it's it's the vocal and physical ability to stand up and be confident, show confidence, like Ian on his TED Talk, TEDx Talk, and, and doing that confidence up there. And, and therefore, people will follow you. Um, and I, I jokingly talk about getting off a plane one time and following a gentleman who was with confidence walking off a plane and 10 of us followed him. It was only when he turned into the toilet that we realized we were following him for the wrong reasons and he was going there and we didn't need to go there. But we all know people who are confident and you'll follow yeah. them because of it. The conviction side is values. And I think this is coming more and more into the, the case. And sometimes authenticity is overused. And I think authenticity can be developed. But the concept of purpose and values is strong to this. So do I show conviction? Do I waver and I go with the next views and thoughts? Or do I hold true to what I believe as, as conviction? But the, the important one for me is connection. And this is what we're talking about, which is the ability with despite turbulence, tough waters, to be able to adapt and be agile in the moment. Um, and you'll look at you know the Djokovic's of this world in the tennis that train so hard. So in the match, they don't need to almost think about what they're doing. They have that ability to adapt to the serve and the work and connection. So those three C's, I, I've got one coachee who I still coach. I've been coaching for 12 years. He's still working on connection, but he loves it because he mm -hmm. sees it as a real area to thrive in today's world. So those are the three C's, yeah. Lovely, I really like, I really like mm. those. Uh, I, I, I will borrow those from yeah. you. <laughs> Test if you can find the research, Ben, let me know. Yeah. <laughs> what about you, Ian? What's your What's your conclusion this afternoon? I think my conclusion comes back to the the responsibility of the leader to set the tune. You know, mm -hmm. you can't talk about this stuff without living this stuff. And I think anyone who's in a leadership position or an aspiring leader listening to this podcast needs to say, "So, how do I demonstrate some of this stuff?" Because as we know, it's not what I say, it's what I do. And so how am I going to show that I'm up for 
inspiring people to go into a, a place that may be not as safe as it is here? How do I how do I get them to stretch and grow and move? And how do I do that by showing that I'm prepared to do that, that I'm I, I can make mistakes too, and it's okay, and I've got your back. So I think the role of the leader is is what's uh, is what I'm taking out of this, and our role in in helping others to get there. Yeah, and as leaders, it's kind of a weekly question, isn't it? I remember it being for me. Um, where do I need to lean into the danger? Is there something that actually, if I think back uh, or I pay attention, I realise that I'm fearful of going there, and actually, it's a conversation I should have. Like your example earlier, when it's gone wrong, run and tell the customer. Yeah, that's a lean into the danger conversation, isn't it? Which of those am I not having that I should do? And Colin, let's give you the last word on this topic. What, what's your conclusion? I mean, my, my conclusion is, is back up. It's the leader's role to create the conditions for the future. I think there's so many different types of leaders though out there. And I think this is, there's no, there's no way to be wrong in this. You can choose your own way and your own path to do that. And, and your own fears will drive that as well as your own team's fears about how you take those on. So I think it's about a choice, about the style you do. And I think sometimes as leadership people, we give too many people the idea that there's one, almost one or two variations of leadership. And I think finding your own and being more wrong about it is the principle of my book, which is be an imposter, you know, have that syndrome, but try and do something different. So that, that would be my encouragement. You can never be wrong as a leader. You can be, you can measure it in terms of how your followers are doing. Uh, and behind you and if they're with you and still with you you're doing something right yeah mm, mm. yeah it's a great test of whether you're you're successfully leading is anyone following lovely okay well that's kind of a wrap be more wrong the book 21st september colin how would you how would you feel about coming back around about that time we can revisit failure is not not an option yeah yeah no let's do it yeah let's do it that's the date. Colin, thank you so much for, for joining us. Can folk pre-order the book now? They can. It's uh, going to be on Amazon very, very shortly, so they can go ahead and pre-order. Yeah. And as I said, also the podcast is coming out very shortly. Super. Looking forward to reading it. Thank you for joining us. Thank you, as always, Ian. No, it's great to be on and really great to hear your thoughts. Um, really enjoyed the discussion. Thanks, Colin. Thanks, Ian. Thanks, Ben, as well.